0: Carolyn, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate this for the audience. Uh, you and I just met, I don't know, uh, two, three weeks ago uh, via Twitter. And I think you are not, I think I know, you're the first person uh, that I think I've talked to and, and made a connection like this. And uh, so I really appreciate you in uh, your time uh, being a part of the, uh, the podcast. Something that stood out to me, and I want to just kind of dive into this, there's a lot that uh, we can talk about uh, for the show. Um, you have a tweet that is uh, pinned where January 1st, 2022, you're, you have a project of where you're going to try to run, walk 6,240 miles for in this year. How did that all get started? Walk us through, how did you ever, how did you get to this goal for 2022?
1: Well, so it's a little convoluted, but you know, short story is when I was running professionally, I would do, I would average 120 miles a week, sometimes more if I was, you know, ramping up for something, sometimes less, sometimes less than that, if I was doing, you know, recovery or something. And then, um, am obviously not professional anymore. And so I just kind of kept that general number in my head because it's an easy, you know, mm. just 20 a day, morning, afternoon, you know, kind of keeps my day bookended, that sort of thing. Then my mother fell ill and I started being one of her caretakers and suddenly my world kind of shrunk. I don't know if you've ever, I mean, you know, when you have children,
2: yeah.
1: my children are gone now, but when, you know, suddenly I was back in that mode of being responsible for somebody so um, I had tried to race during that period but in I mean almost every single time there'd be a phone call that there was an emergency or leading up to the event there was always problems like we were in the hospital weeks you know that kind of thing so my life just kind of got where um, I really couldn't have a, I couldn't set a goal and go to it, which is our normal paradigm for racing. You know, if we're competitive runners, that's what we do. I mean, we build up to a race, we race, we recover. And I just couldn't do it. I've left, I can't tell you how many races mid-race or signed up and then couldn't start because of the situation. So at the beginning of this year, you know, after COVID, after everything, I just thought I need something that I can control myself regardless of my situation, I need a goal that it makes no difference whether there's an outcome that satisfies anyone else or that gives me any, you know, like there's no medal there's nothing, there's, there's no prize. I just needed it for myself. Yeah. So I took my 120 that was kind of my standard and extrapolated out 52 weeks and came up with 62
2: <laughs>
1: So, and, and with it, and in that pin tweet, it says, you know, I can front load or back load because I still have obligations and um, things to do. And uh, sadly, shortly after I set that goal, in February, my mom passed away kind of unexpectedly. She had been ill, so not really, but we, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be six months into the project. So... Um, you know, it's really helped me in a secondary way that I had not anticipated. With the goal being structure originally, it also ended up being a fantastic tool for grief mm. that I did not know up front. And I didn't know how much I was grieving ahead of time. And I didn't know how much it would help me in the process. You know, making yourself get out and run or walk 20 miles a day forces you to kind of, you know, keep going and. Yeah. And I spend a lot of time, you know, no music, no podcasts. I mean, I do do those things, but I do try and really spend a lot of time every day, you know, really just being grateful for being alive, being grateful for my mother, being grateful for my family, you know? And so it had a second, you know, it had a second benefit and a second outcome of really helping me with grief. So I've just kept going and I'm, you know, plan to finish it up, even though like I now I'm signed up for races again you know, I just, just thought this is something that has been really good for me. And I didn't anticipate that.
0: Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And i um, sorry to hear about your mom. Thank you. uh, loss is always tough and everyone yes. has their own grief.
2: Yes. And
0: um, so I appreciate you being vulnerable with that. Uh, you've mentioned um, that you used to run competitively. Um, take us back. When did you first, I guess. Uh, fall in love with running um you know when did that first begin was it when you were younger was it in high school or college walk us through that journey that has gotten you to this point
1: well so embarrassingly i hated running when i was young (laughs) i was a competitive swimmer and um was on a travel team and you know trained even very young six hours a day you know three in the morning three in the afternoon um just spent a lot of time in the pool so running was actually the antithesis of swimming. Run, you know, swimming, you're you're lightweight, feel free, get on the run. And I just felt like, I'm like, ah, you know, so I hated
2: running,
1: (laughs) but at about um, 14 or 15, I got, I had a, a, you know, when you're that serious, that young, there's a lot of, you know, that age is tough. I, I, in in retrospect, I feel bad for my coach because I'm sure I was a pill, but my coach (laughs) and I got in a fight And I just did what a 14, 15-year-old girl would do. I just quit. I just walked off the pool deck and never went back. But having started swimming competitively at five, I was very used to just really structured training. So I started running just as a way to kind of bridge the gap and um, join the cross-country team, ran some in college, that kind of thing. And I stuck with it mostly because running is just a lot less... Work than swimming, you know, getting to a pool, you know, just everything involved with swimming is a lot harder. Whereas, leave, you know, walking out my front door is much easier. So that is how I ended up transitioning to running. But no, I did not start out with a love of running at all.
0: <laughs> so you you left or quit with swimming, and then you started running. Uh, I ran cross country too. I had uh, look, yeah, looking back, you know, I was not the fastest uh, my junior year in uh, high school. I started running cross country. I used to run the 800 meters and, uh, in track, uh, which now is like, That's a, sprint. a hard
2: event. it really is. God it's awesome. and
0: it's un- Yeah. It's unbelievable. I watched some of these, uh, clips on uh, Instagram, you know, where, you know, students are running like 45 seconds for uh, a 400 meter run. So they're just, they're just sprints now, but, but the cross country for me really helped me, um, uh, I think, enjoy running. Uh, I still like to run. I don't do it as much, but um, uh, I've gotten back into it. Um, I had some knee pain. So now I'm doing a lot better with that. But, but yeah, those three miles back in the day, uh, that was that was like beast mode, just kind of thinking about, okay, can I get through the three miles? Yeah. And, uh, I can still remember there were people, uh, like freshmen running sub 15 minute, uh, three miles. And I never got that close. Like I couldn't get below uh, 18. Like I, think I got I uh, got my fastest was like uh, 1806.
2: That's, that's good.
0: Yeah, that's I, I wish good. I could run I'm that solid. now. Yeah, yeah. At, at 43, I wish I could run 1806. Yeah. I, I'd be really happy with that. So now when you were running cross country, was that a two mile race? Do you remember?
1: I think it was two mile. Honestly, I don't even remember cause I only did it um, for two years. And I was simultaneously teaching high impact high impact aerobics on a cement floor. Oh wow! Which you know, in
2: hindsight,
1: whatever. So I uh, ended up with a stress fracture in my ankle. Did not know that, and ran through it, and at a meet, you know, cross country. There's a lot of you know, up and down and jostling, and and I went around a corner and got kind of pushed over to the side and went off on my ankle, and stabbed my ankle.
0: So Mm.
1: that was the end of running for, I I was in a cast for a long time and that was the end of my running career for high school. So I think it was probably two two miles, but honestly, it wasn't, I wasn't that invested. I really was just doing it for something to do.
0: Gotcha. So how did you then get into competitive running, uh, ultra running, uh, team running? When did that happen?
1: That didn't happen until I was in my thirties and um, I had been practicing law and I had Gave birth to two to twins that were very premature. And so, quit, uh, I was a prosecutor, quit prosecuting and uh, started working part time for the legislature and had the two babies. And I just, again, you know, exercise is kind of my default. I deal sort of with any life stress with exercise. So, uh, again, running could be, you know, I had a baby jogger, could put them in, I could run. Um, just started doing that. And then um, it just, you know, with anything, the the more you run, the more you like to run. And I just got where I was running more and more. And when they started school, I joined a running group and um, started running some marathons. But, you know, at that point I was old enough to know I was never going to be like really fast, but from all the years of swimming and everything else, I had a lot of endurance. So I thought, you know, let me see if I can run a 50-miler. Let's just see how that goes. You know, that, you know that is, you go and it's fun. <laughs> and then I um, went the national championship 24-hour race was in Texas. It was a grapevine. It was called sure. Ultra Season. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so I uh, had wanted to try a 100-miler. I'd done 250s, wanted to try 100, but had no interest in being out in the middle of a forest somewhere yeah, But I'd never done it before because I had no idea. I figured I was going to die. So I thought, well, well at least <laughs> die on a loop where they can get to me.
0: Die around a lot of other yeah. people, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> One
1: mile loop. I thought, I'll be okay. So I did that. That was my third ultra. I did that. And um, it was great. Yeah. So, and I saw these people making the U.S. team and I thought, okay, I'm coming back next year and I'm going to try and make this team. Yeah. And that's how it started. I had no intention. It just, you know, things happen. You just, yeah walk into a situation and it was just, it was serendipitous and it worked out for me. And it was really so.
0: Hard. So there's a lot of thoughts that I have right now. So one thing that really stood out to me is, you know, you started the ultra running in your thirties. And I think that's something really great for those who are listening that, you know, you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to have this thought that, well, I'm not in my twenties anymore. I'm not a teenager and I can't go out and do this. So I've heard so many other stories like that. I don't know if you know, Rich Roll. Uh, he's got a podcast and I know he does a lot of ultra running and um, who was one of the original guys. Um, I read his book years Dean, ago. Dean
1: Karnazes.
0: Dean, that's right. And I remember him. And I think in his book, um, you know, he had talked about when he left, I think he may have been like at a, a bar or something like that, or he had some fight with his wife. And one night he just went, he just went running It kind of sounded yeah. like Forrest Gump, right? And it's like yes. you know, 30, miles, night, 30 like that. miles. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. So I love that because it's a great reminder for all of us that no matter where we are, we can we can start doing something and we can make some really big changes now you you talked about 250 mile races. Uh The first time you got into this uh, so two questions here were you still running then in your 20s and then when you first started the ultra running was the first thing you did was it a marathon or was it the 50 mile race.
1: So I was not really running in my 20s. I was exercising. And I mean, once in a while, like, you know, I was in law school. So once in a while, I would like, you know, between classes, I would go, you know, I was at Texas Tech and I'd go run. There was a loop. I would go run the loop periodically. But I mean, I wasn't running. That would be a huge stretch to call that running. It was just moving a little bit, you know, Um, and my big concern at that point was to not be fat. It had very little to do with mental health or anything else. I just didn't want to be fat. So um whatever I could do, a lot of Diet Coke and some exercise is what it amounted to. Gotcha. Um and then I always walked, regardless of anything else I did, I always walked. So I was outside moving, it was important. Um, but no, I didn't really pick up running, running until my mid-30s. And I made that team, I turned 40 in October and I made the team in November. So I made the US, I wasn't, I didn't really become competitive until I was 40. So, I mean, I think that's the beauty of running and ultra running, especially like it really suits those of us who start late.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And I think there's something there where there's always the, there's always time to get started Uh, for a lot of people. And I I really appreciate you sharing how uh, exercise is such a great stress reliever. Um, You know, people um, I used to follow up bill phillips he wrote the book body for life and i got a a chance to speak at one of his camps uh four or five years ago but one of the things he would often talk about and other people have too i'm sure is just how exercise it's a great antidepressant yes and you know it's something that i just think a lot of people are not tapping into as much and the fact that you're getting started in your 30s or 40 uh and then just going down this path it's just really phenomenal so um When you did that, um, was there any hesitation? Like, did you complete those first two 50 mile runs? And then, you know, what happened in Irving and and, and how long were you on the the team uh, when you began all of that?
1: So, um, I, I did complete the two fifties. One was on trail and one was, um, technically trail, but it was loop trail, like a five mile loop. So the first one was on the PCT, the Pacific Crest Trail, and it was up to Timberline Lodge and back. And it was super fun, but I was terrible. I mean, like embarrassingly bad because I don't run, you know, I live in the Rocky Mountain, the base of the Rocky Mountains, the Franklin Mountains. It's very, very rocky. So unless you have people to go with, you can't really train there by yourself. And there's not a lot of running involved. It's a lot of like hiking because it's bouldery. So I was, um, when I did PCT, that my first one, I mean, it was like, I really thought, okay, I'm never doing this again, because like, I, you know, it's kind of like me was singing.
2: <laughs>
1: you know, I know I can't do it. So I yeah, had to, yeah, like, yeah me I too. do this, you know? But yeah. I, I just enjoyed it. So I thought, okay, I'll do one that is on loops. It was still trail, but it was loops. And that one was really fun.
2: Yeah. And
1: I thought, okay, maybe if I just try something flat, since I'm training flat, it'll be better. So I did those 50s and that's why, you know, when I saw Grapevine, it was, uh, I did the second one in like May and Grapevine was in November, ultra centric. So I, it wasn't flat, but it was asphalt relatively flat because it was the national championships for the 24 hour team. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't trail or, you know there wasn't a lot of climbing or anything. And it was just that moment of like, oh, I can do this if I do it on this surface in this type of environment. Yeah. And I'm super, um, you know, kind of my personality is I'm really, you know, I keep lists and charts and yeah. And the loop thing just works in my brain. Yeah. You know?
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. Fire. No. Yeah. That's all good. So what's the furthest you've run then? I know the 24 hour race I was with other people then. Correct, like a relay.
1: Yeah, no, 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 no. It's one person. I was I one did-
0: person. Okay. Yeah. So, how far was that?
1: So, uh, my first time I did it was 127. I've done wow. 131. Um, you know, but there are women, let me just tell you, women now at this point doing like 150 something. So, it wasn't at the time it was good, but it's not good. I mean, it's good, but it's yeah,
0: that's huge.
1: I was trying to say there are women who are a lot better than me.
0: But yeah. That's- Well, no, I mean, look, 120 miles, 127 miles in 24 hours. So did you have a team then? Did you have your family or some other people uh, helping you, whether it's like driving with you or food or clothing? How did that work?
1: So the way it works is it's a one mile loop and you, everyone cruises around the perimeter. They set okay. up tables or whatever. And ironically, we were, we were next to Dean Carnazies. That's why really that. <laughs> his, his dad was crewing for him and he was next to my husband and my two kids were there. Yeah, And, um, and you just go around a one mile loop for 24 hours and you go as far as you can. And so,
2: wow. Know. So.
1: And then they took took the, they take the top three and there's a U.S. national team, okay. just like with any sport. And then they take top three automatic and then they have, then they expanded it to six where it's six automatic. Mm-hmm. So we always had six people on the team and I was on the team four times over a period of 10 years. So from 40 to 50, I was on the team four times.
0: Okay. So I want to talk about mindset then, because if you can run... 120 plus miles in 24 hours, there's something, you're you're mentally strong. Uh, I know people talk about hitting the wall in a marathon, like at mile 18 or mile 20. Um, Walk us through the the mental games, uh, if you were playing games with your mind, or the stories you were telling yourself, you know, when did you feel like okay, I think I'm I'm just ready to go home. And, you know, and how did you push through? Because I think there's something here that can translate to other people too, where a lot of times people have a hard time figuring out how far they can actually go. And I think many people can go way further, much further than we ever thought, whether it's with nutrition, whether it's with endurance, uh, or even just when things are bad in general, you know, so, give us some insight with that mentality that you had. Uh, What was that? Why? Or, you know, how were you able to push through those walls?
1: Well, um, I don't know how deep you want to go with this. And, you know,
0: please, please go deep. Take your time.
1: So when I was 10, we had a horrible tragedy happen in our house. And I was the only one home and I was the one that discovered it. And, um, it, I ended up with horrible ptsd they didn't know that's what it was at the time because this was you know a long time ago
2: um
1: ended up in you know mental health care and um it took me a long time to kind of recover from that and they didn't really know what to do like i said i was only 10 and it was it was very it was just a really hard kind of recovery period but one of the things that my parents forced me to keep doing was to keep swimming Mm. and um, every couple of weeks we had to do what was called a, a two-hour swim, and it was a non-stop two-hour swim in a 25-yard pool, and let me just tell you, if you have PTSD, that is excruciating, and they would not let me get out of the pool, um, my coach was, you know, instructed to keep me in the pool, and I just had to, I, and I just basically had to learn some techniques, kind of going through it, it's like with any sort of, I think, mental health crisis, if you can, I think, you know, it's like cognitive behavioral therapy. If you can sort of keep, if the stimuli is still there and you can kind of work through it, I didn't, trust me, I had no idea this is what was happening at the time. It's just in hindsight and with therapy as an adult, this is what I think I realized. It just really allowed me to understand that my thoughts and my emotions are not me. And I was able to, Basically, compartmentalize them in order to finish a task. And, you know, with endorphins and all the, you know, dopamine and serotonin and everything that happens with physical exercise, if you can bring those levels up while keeping the the stress and the anxiety at bay while you're doing it, by the time you're done, you've changed the levels suddenly the anxiety levels down and the positive energy level is up and it would flip the script every time and the longer i did that the better i got yeah and i was eventually able able to go back to school because i was i had to get i was out of school for several months Um, i could not i almost developed like agoraphobia i couldn't leave the house So, um, I was able to go back to school, everything, my life kind of, I was able to go on. And, um, I think that that set me up for life for being able to withstand things because things happen, you know, just, it was, you know, there's continuous things. There are things will happen throughout life. And I think that having gone through that so young, it just gave me a, a skill set that allowed me to like running 24 hours nonstop is very hard, but it's this, it's the same tools. I use the same tools to do that as I do to you, you know, in any situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that. I think there's something there too. And, um, you talking about your thoughts and emotions and, and that's not who you, who you really are. Because I think that's those for people who are going through something, maybe not the same scenario as you, but even just like with being consistent with exercise, people just have a hard time being consistent with exercise. And we know all the benefits of it. Uh, And yet those thoughts and emotions, those stories can override everything else. So flipping the script, flipping the script, kind of what you're talking about there keeping uh, the anxiety down and then, uh, you know, enjoying that. Uh, are there any tangible thoughts or, or pieces of uh, wisdom that you might give someone? Let's say someone is starting off on, a, on their health journey. Uh, maybe they're trying to lose 20 pounds. Uh, maybe they're getting ready for a, a 10K or a half marathon and they're feeling some of that pain. Um, what wisdom? I'll put you in the coach's seat for a moment. Uh, what wisdom would you want to share with them or can you share with them?
1: I think one of the, so when I was, when I was actually competing professionally, I um, worked with a sports psychologist and one of the things he told me that I have used consistently throughout my adult life. And, um, and I think it was kind of, you know, the, the, it, it codified what we've been talking about. He said, Emotions follow actions. Mm. If you allow your emotions to dictate your actions, you will never change your emotions. And so, I've I've just thought about that so much. It's like when my alarm goes off at four.
0: Yep.
1: Everyone thinks I'm like, "Yay, it's time!" (laughs) I'm so excited. It's pitch black and freezing, but I can't wait. No, it is not like that. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It's still four o'clock. It's still dark. I still have to go do it. And. um, it's that thing of, I, but I know if I continue to live by that, that emotions follow action, not the other way around. It doesn't matter how I feel when I wake up. I yeah. mean, I'm not talking about being physically ill. I'm talking about mental. Yes. And in, it does not fail. If I do what I need to do and get up and do those things, I feel the way I want to feel. And I want to feel upbeat and positive and strong and capable and stable and happy. And I, yeah. and I, and, and grateful. Yes. And if I do the things I need to do, I feel those things. If I allow the, you know, oh, uh, I don't want to do this or, Oh, it's going to be a hard day or, Oh, I've got so much going on and I don't do what I need to do that mindset. Those emotions track all day long.
0: Yep. Absolutely.
1: So that's for me, that is really the biggest thing that Hundred percent changed my life. Like, oh. like little things, even that follow with that. I get up every morning and make my bed. Nobody sees it but me. My kids are gone. My husband and I live here alone. Nope. he doesn't care. But I make the bed <laughs> because that action makes me feel a certain way when yes. every time I walk into my room. Does yes. That make sense? yes, it
0: makes it makes perfect sense. And um, um, what you're saying is so true. Uh, so a couple of thoughts. One, I love the idea of having a, a sports psychologist. Um, I'm really a big believer in coaching um, that even, you know, Tiger Woods has a coach, um, you know, uh, Tom Brady has a coach, yeah. um, you know, so you think about these people who are so successful in a sports um, area or arena, and yet they have some kind of coach. And I think a lot of times because I do some coaching right now, A lot of times people don't always see the value of coaching, but when you look, when I look back at my life, the last 10, 12 years, I I keep seeing this pattern that, you know, you can call it a coach or a mentor or someone, you know, that you're getting some guidance, you're getting some recommendations from, uh, which I really love. And emotions follow actions. I've heard that before. And it's so true. It's easy to say, but like what you're saying, it's hard to do because, When you're waking up at four, that is pretty tough because you can hit the snooze button. So I want to talk about the four o'clock real quick. Uh, You mentioned 4 a.m. So back in 2016, I started waking up at four because a friend of mine wanted to work out at the gym at five. Mm -hmm. I said, there's no way I can get there unless I wake up like at four. And so the first two or three weeks, I felt awful.
2: Yeah.
0: And eventually his work schedule changed, but I kept waking up at four. And so between like four to 8 a.m., You know, that was almost like a whole day for me where I started really calling it living two days in one, you know, we're waking up early. So I'm curious about some of your morning routines. I know a lot of people have talked about this. Tim Ferriss has talked about this. Um, Jocko Willink has talked about, you know, where, how he wakes up early and things like that. Give us some insight with some of your routines, making your bed. And there's a book called Make Your Bed um, by a Navy officer, uh, which I'm having my son read or he actually did read it. Um, Give us some insights of some of your morning routines. Is 4 a.m. something typical that you do? Uh, What else are you doing?
1: Yes. So I've I've been getting up at 4 a.m. for, I don't know, forever. Um, And it, you know, first, because being competitive swimmer, you know, we had, I had early practice. So I've just always gotten up very early. I was that kid that would go to slumber parties and, I'd have to go to bed at eight o'clock while all the girls stayed up till midnight because I couldn't stay up because I'd been up since four, you know, so um, it's kept me out of a lot of trouble. Let me say, that, which is a good thing, but no, I get up at four. Um, so what I do, I get up at four and I just roll out of bed straight onto the floor to do, cause I do morning prayers and then I get dressed, brush my teeth, all that. And then I get back before I make my bed. I get back into the bed and I do my, um, I have a journal and I do meditation in the morning. I journal nice. and meditate.
0: Do you um, have I, any, if I can interrupt, do you have any particular journal that you're using or is it just like a three ring notebook or what? Well, it's,
1: this was not intentional because I didn't know we were talking about this, but it's sitting right here. So this is what I'm doing right now. Yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big uh, Frederick Beekner fan.
0: Okay. Frederick so, Beekner Okay.
1: Yes, he's an Episcopal minister. Um, okay. Episcopal priest, as we call him, and um, this book is called The Remarkable Ordinary, and How to Stop, Mm. Look, and Listen to Life, and I just, I've always liked his sermons, and so that's what I'm using right now, but it evolves, I mean, you know, I call it Bible dipping, and it it doesn't have to be the Bible, it can be anything, It's just can, I just like any kind of, I, you know, I do all, I'll read anything that I find motivational, inspirational, you know, it can be lay, it can be religious, it can be anything as so. long as it has a, a good message and I just kind of open it to a place and see what it says. And I take that, you know, and, and kind of go with that and riff on it, write about it, think about it. Um, this is also the same journal that I write down my mileage and all the things. I mean, it's just kind of my yeah. little thing, but so I do that first. I try to be done by four 30 yeah. so that I can be on the road by four 30. Um, and I just get as many miles as I can in before seven and that's kind of when my day starts.
2: Okay. Um,
1: so, and that's why my mileage is sort of broken up. I just have to get the miles in when I can. Yeah. And so, but that kind of 4:30 start is concrete because gotcha. I know that I, that window is mine.
0: Gotcha. So. Are you pretty? Are you pretty strict then with your evening routine, or do you have yeah. a shut? Do you, so uh, last year, um, my son Joshua, he had a friend that stayed with us. And it was just so hard. Um, They're both nine, like trying to shut things down. So um, we created what's called our shutdown routine, where, you know, they, okay, you take a shower, we're gonna eat dinner, no electronics, you can read, you can talk, you can draw um what's your your evening routine or, or shutdown routine what does that look I would like have
1: thrived in your house I mean <laughs> I, 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 that, that would work for me yeah no, so I, I am like I said I'm a very kind of structured person my yeah. family knows none of me um <laughs> but I am you know dinner 6:30 always like we've always always okay always even with my when my you know from the time my kids could sit at the table dinner's on the table at 6 30 and like if my husband had to work late it doesn't matter we are sitting down at 6 30 and we are eating at 6 30 and we're eating together there are no phones there's nothing it's just us at the table at 6 30 and we've always done that um we still do it if my kids are home you know on vacation it, like it kind of makes them a little like really mom we're adults <laughs> we still do dinner at 6 30 so oh, i love it i
2: love it
1: um we're done at seven clean up the kitchen and then we will watch, my husband and I pick like a series and we'll watch that. So I always post that what we're watching, you know, uh, you know, like we just finished uh, Made for Love, it's on HBO. It's about like okay. a Google type of thing, just finished that. Um, so we watch from seven to eight and on the dot at eight o'clock we turn the TV <laughs> off and we go to bed and we wake up at four every night. Well, every night. we don't do that on Saturday. Saturday is like our date night. And so we don't have a time on Saturday. That's the only night, every other night.
0: Yeah. So for a lot of people, and I I really like this, I like what you're doing. Um, There's something about structure. There's something about this habit and routine. For a lot of people, though, they say, no, that just seems a little bit boring, right? Where, you know, you're, you know, why not stay up a little bit later? But there is something I think really important. And it's something to, I think you've already kind of touched on it, but I'd love to hear more thoughts for it from you. Um, in particular with discipline, so the Bible, um, you read the Bible, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, that's the idea of discipline, not just things we're not doing, but also things that we are doing, and other people have talked about discipline, like Jocko, and a lot of other people, Um, to to parents out there, um, what wisdom would you give them with their children, right, uh, about this idea of structure and discipline. Did you have a lot of pushback with your kids when they were growing up? Um, uh, and, and today, I think that's something that's missing in a lot of homes, this idea of structure. And so whether it's a 6.30 dinner or watching the television show together, uh, what words of wisdom would you wanna to share to parents who are out there who have children, who may, because I think the, your exercise began when you were a child. And it's, mm-hmm. it's carried you through. And so those habits from an early age are really important. What, what would you like to share concerning that?
1: Well, I hate to ever, ever give any kind of parenting anything. Cause I think parenting is the wild card. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's just, I think parenting is the hardest thing anyone will ever do and yeah. doing it well is the greatest reward and commitment ever. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I do not think that I in any way, shape, or form have any answers about it. I can only share what I did, um, and maybe it'll work for someone else, and maybe it won't. But um, just from my own experience, and this is what I did with my children, the thing with structure is I think structure works if in the in between the boundaries, there's freedom. So. I'm super structured in my day-to-day and I was super structured with my kids. But like, like with my running, I don't run the same route every single day with the same pace. I wear a watch only so I can track my mileage. I don't, keep, I don't, I don't know what my pace is. I'm not worrying about it. Um, the structure is the mileage. And in that, I can do whatever I want. I can go do the mountains. I can go run on the canals. I can go, you know, I can leave town and run somewhere else. Like I'm not frantic about, Oh my gosh, this has to be done this way. Um, and that is kind of what I always said with my kids. It's like, these are, these are the boundaries. This is how we're operating, but inside that, do whatever you want. And I don't mean that literally. I just mean my kids one, you know, is a lawyer and the other is a physicist, like they, and they're twins. They have completely different interests, but they were in, they were brought up in exactly the same household. They oh. were brought up doing the exact same thing. But during all that, they could take whatever classes they want. They could, I wasn't managing them. I never once sat down and did their homework with them. It's Like, mm. if you want to get good grades, great. If you don't, that's on you. This is your responsibility. You face the consequences at school. Um, There was just, so does that make sense? Like there were all these boundaries, but within that, it's on you. It's your responsibility.
0: Yeah. And I do like, um, I do like what Jocko says, you know, discipline is freedom where people often will say, well, man, that's, that seems weird waking up at four and going to bed at eight. But what you've talked about, you know, living a life where you do have this satisfaction and you feel good. You know, eight hours of sleep. That's what so many people are lacking. And so there is something about discipline that, you know, when we tap into it more, we'll obviously, I think, have a better enjoyment of the things that we do have. And, and we'll have a lot more gratitude as well. Um, one of the things, Carolyn, that uh, that I, I really like to do is I like to eat. I like food. And I've told people that my, my, yeah, (laughs) are those all all cookbooks?
2: are all cookbooks. Oh, wow. Everything, yes.
0: So I have to, I got to ask some questions about this because when I see your post on Twitter, there's always some kind of dessert. And uh, if you ever need a taste tester or something like that, (laughs) uh, I'll give you my address. I love, I love sweets. Um, I too. so how did you get into cooking and tell us about, I'll tell the audience. So it looks like, and you tell me, you correct me if I'm wrong, you have some kind of dessert after every run. Am I right or wrong about that? And how did you get into this, this love affair with cooking and desserts?
1: know, yeah, I don't know if it's chicken or the egg. I don't know if like all of my kind of hyperactivity as a kid, you know, like <laughs> I said, I swam hours and hours and hours. And when I wasn't swimming, I was doing something else, physical. Yeah. If that was spurred on by the fact that I love sweets or if I love sweets because I was always physically active, I don't know, but I was the kid that we would go out to breakfast and everyone would get eggs and I would get French toast. Like I hate eggs. I yes. don't want yeah, <laughs> I don't that. Money. So I must, in fact, sit, again, this is just on my desk. Yeah. Yeah. There's my candy bar.
2: Um, oh, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah. So I, I do love sweets, and I do um, what I do. It kind of goes back to the the structure. I do intermittent fasting, and so I don't eat all day. I don't open my window till after until the afternoon, and so I open my window with healthy food. I have a giant smoothie with fruits and vegetables, and um, and then some sort of protein.
0: What's then- a, give us some details with that, because um, I have a big smoothie, so I use. Huel protein that's a vegan protein i'll put in like a couple blueberries uh, a cup or a little bit more of sliced strawberries peanut butter kale i'll throw in some almond milk and water what's in your smoothie
1: okay so i used to do it all kind of you know individually um but i just found so i and this is not a plug because so i'm not sponsored by them but i use daily harvest because okay. they come pre and they're a mix of fruits and veggies. And, um, and then they have a lot of ingredients that if you tried to source them yourself, it would cost an arm and a leg because you'd have to get a huge thing of it and you'd use one teaspoon. So there's, you know, they have acai in it and they have
2: yeah.
1: sour sop. And I mean, all kinds of things that, you know, pass on, I'm not even sure I could get some of this stuff, but if I could, it'd probably be really expensive. So I get the daily harvest smoothies and I add um, a banana to every version that I'm having because I like the extra potassium, you know, that kind of thing from all the running. And then I add, no joke, half a blender of kale or romaine or, you know, a green of some sort. So it's basically like the daily the daily harvest and then all greens on top. Um, so it fills up a 32 ounce, like a big gulp cup. You know, I have a this huge cup and I have that every day and that's what I open my window with. And then I have, like I said, some sort of protein. Usually I'm a big kind of nut person. Like I love mm. almonds. I love any kind of nuts. So I'll have a lot of times. I'll have nuts and then maybe some cheese. Yeah. Um, and then after I have that, after I open my window with that, that's when I have the dessert, but uh-huh. I start with, I start with the healthy thing because if I start <laughs> straight with sugar after fasting all day, I would be yeah. ill.
0: Yeah. And then what's I have your, dessert. what, What's your window for, what's your fasting window? Is it 12, 12, 16, eight? What are you doing?
1: I do 19, five,
0: 19, five. So five. how many, like how many, how many calories are you getting in those five hours with trying to run? What a is it? 17, 20 miles a day.
1: I don't know. I've never, and this, is, again, this is kind of the discipline thing. I set up kind of the, the structure and then I don't worry about it in the middle of it. So okay. I don't count calories. I don't do macros, nothing. Um, the discipline is, the structure is in good, get, get, you know, the 19 hours. And then once the 19 hours are done, then I just eat whatever I want. Other but I will say this other than the sweets, everything else is like, I cook it all from scratch. Like we're not eating junk. Like I don't eat out. I mean, we eat like in a restaurant once in a while, but I mean, like, I don't, we, I, I don't like fast food. I don't eat any of that stuff. So whatever I'm eating my window, other than the, the dessert, you see everything else is healthy. Mm. so but that's just by taste it's not because i'm trying to make myself eat that it's just that when you only eat in a window your body's like i must have this healthy thing like it only it it really kind of separates the wheat from the chaff you know what i mean it really your body figures out very quickly it wants these nutrients.
0: So is your, your five hour of eating, is it at the beginning of the day or is it at the end of the day?
1: It starts at two o'clock. I, I eat from two to seven,
0: two to seven. Okay. Yeah, Cause
1: we sit down for dinner at six 30 and I close my window at seven.
0: How did you pick that window? Because I know fat. So one of the things that's worked well for me, and this goes back to uh, my days with Bill Phillips and it's, it's interesting because in his book body for life, uh, he, he talked about this years ago, like, uh, 12 hour fast. So like if you have your last meal at 7 p.m., eat at 7 a.m. And uh, Dr. Uh, Jason Fung has a lot of uh, resources out there. Um, uh, You can go to YouTube and find him. So I know there's a lot of different windows. The 12-12 has worked pretty well for me. I'm not eating all throughout those 12 hours, uh, typically every two or three hours, but sometimes it just depends. Like the shake makes me really full first thing in the morning. How did you decide on this nineteen-five split? Was it trial and error? Was it research that you found? What was that?
1: So, um, and this may be too long. And so feel free to cut any of this out that doesn't work. <laughs> I, you know, from all the years of, of running at the elite level, I became insulin resistant from really? the, every 45 minutes to an hour, sucking down a gel or eating something, you know, because that's how we were trained to do. Wow. And, and so I became insulin resistant not severely but enough that it was problematic. And have you ever heard of Tim Noakes? He wrote The Lore of Running, Dr. I don't Tim
0: Noakes. Uh-uh. How he's do you spell his last name, do you know?
1: It's N O A K E S and he wrote The Lore of Running and he's sort of the guru, he invented the gel.
2: Oh, ah, okay.
1: Not a certain brand but he invented the, you know, he's a he's a researcher. And uh, he's out of South Africa. And he wrote this tome called The Lore of Running that everyone's followed forever. And he became insulin resistant. He's the one who promulgated this like every 45 minutes standard.
2: Yeah. And,
1: And he had to dial it back and say, I was wrong because he became, I think he actually, I don't know if he became just insulin resistant or he actually became diabetic, but he like went down that path. And this is a man that ran every day for 50 years. And he, so he dialed it back and they actually in South Africa, they went after his medical license when he pulled back from that and said, no, people should not be eating. You, you cannot keep, you know, you, if you follow Jason Fung, you know, you cannot keep your insulin elevated. You've got to have it go down. Yes. So I realized then that that was what was happening. I was just keeping my insulin elevated all day long. All the
0: time. Yeah.
1: Training's at such a level all the time that I was hungry all the time. So, um, after my last team and I knew I had kind of some time where I wasn't like competing for anybody, I took a year off and did keto just to solve the insulin resistance mm. and it did, it solved it. Um, but you know, for me, I don't like that kind of food that much. I mean, I'm not a big meat fat thing. I think it's very effective for certain things. I just couldn't live on that. Right. But I really, really liked that. Steady blood sugar situation.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. So I had, uh, you know, Jason Fung, who is a big kind of keto proponent, he also is a big fasting proponent. I mean, that's yep. kind of his, you know, pillars. Yep. So I thought, well, let me add some of his fasting in and see what happens. And it was just amazing to me that if I up, ramped up the fasting, I could add more carbs in and have a diet that was more, that worked better for me and my palate. And so I just slowly ramped up the fasting and added in more carbs. And I found that I finally found a window that really worked for the amount of training I did with the kind of food that I wanted to eat. Gotcha. And it just worked. I've been doing it, uh, started in 2017 and, you know, knock on wood, you know, no injuries, yeah. <laughs> no illnesses, no nothing. I mean, I, uh, it's, you know, any kind of weird little things I had are all gone. It, yeah. It's like I came in for the, as they say, it's not a diet. You come in for the weight loss. I didn't really have the weight loss issue, but I came in for the insulin resistance, but I stayed because the health benefits for me have been off the charts.
0: How long did it take before you saw major changes with the insulin resistance and other health benefits?
1: Um, so I start seeing results probably six weeks in Okay. Um, but let me say this. I did try to race and it was a disaster because I was really not fat adapted at that point. I was so, run, I, my body was so used to running on glycogen that I could not burn fat to save my life. So it was a disaster. It was too early for me to try to race. It took me, I think it really took me about six months to get really fat adapted. And then once I was fat adapted, so I had suffered from like eczema my whole life. Um, when I was insulin resistant, even though I was tri- racing at that high level, I had high blood pressure. Um, I had uh, a little bit of a a little bit of an arrhythmia. Yeah. Um. I mean, just I had weird little things. I had a weird thyroid problem that wasn't Hashimoto's, but it was a weird thyroid thing. I had borderline. Yep. I had this borderline test for lupus that came out that i was borderline possibly working towards lupus like weird stuff because i i would have to get these huge physicals every year at like ucla or scripps or um mayo so they did all the stuff and i had all these weird for how intensely i trained yeah i had weird little markers and nothing that anyone was like okay we're gonna do something invasive for this but it was like this is this is problematic yeah and I never put it together and nobody at that point was putting insulin resistance with those weird things or they were, but they weren't doing it for someone who was thin and an athlete. So, um, when I did do that, you know, keto, then switched, to, then transition to fasting stuff that I had no idea was related completely went away within like a year and so i just got back from mayo i did the full week long physical with everything and all of my stuff is is a million times better now than it was when i was a professional athlete
0: yeah that is amazing i love it so now i'm really curious i got two questions uh first can you share with us the test is there some particular blood test you're taking at mayo uh, I want to get this blood test done here. Um, is is there any test that you can share? Is it just, or is it just some kind of comprehensive, or is it something unique to to Mayo?
1: It's it, it's it's comprehensive, but it's like I would say it's they test for everything. Okay. And so are just little markers that you can have. That, like I said, none of mine were in the zone of like they didn't put me on thyroid meds because it wasn't enough. It wasn't high enough that it was like okay, it was you know like well, this isn't normal, but we're not going to put you on medication yet. And like my blood pressure, it wasn't high, high, but it was high enough that they're like, you know, for as fit as you are, this should not be, you shouldn't even be high. And like once, once I started the fasting, my blood pressure dropped to like 106 over, you know, 68 or, I mean, it dropped 30 points. Yeah. Um, so just little things like that in the blood, t- I mean, my thyroid's normal, my heart, I've had all- every echo, every EKG, every, hurting, um, yeah. no, you know, all of that normalized.
0: Yeah, oh, that's amazing. So my second question is with respect to supplements. So mm-hmm. long distance running, um, there's a company out there called I can, and, um, they have some kind of uh, starch that they use for the carb that that oh, keep you,
2: the, can.
0: you, you can. can i'm sorry that's it you can yeah you can and um i want to hopefully get them on the show one day too where uh they you know their 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 products are really good so with with running um you know sometimes people will grab a Gatorade after a 30 minute workout that's probably not the best idea when you look at the calorie content and the sugar content So are you using like, um, electrolytes, uh, as you, you don't use any electrolytes. What are you using for supplementation? Just water to recover, water and bananas and things like that.
1: Plain water, black, plain, black coffee. Um, and, um, I, um, I take vitamin D just because I'm a woman of a certain age. So I take vitamin D and I take a probiotic, um, When I take my smoothie, I add a probiotic. That's it. That's all I take.
0: Wow, because there's so know. there's so many products out there, electrolyte products in particular. I sweat a ton. Yeah, uh,
2: I do too. Yeah, I
0: do. so that's that's something I've often thought about, and sometimes it makes it uh, a little bit easier, you know, to consume that much water. Uh, do you try to keep track of how much water you're consuming, or is I it just it. kind of going off of uh, instinct?
1: It's going off, I just drink to thirst. If, if it's, particular, you know, I live in El Paso, so if it's particularly hot and I, yeah. I, the other thing I do is that I really try not, and this is more, again, kind of an age thing where I'm starting to get a lot of spots and stuff. So I try not to be out in the sun in the middle of the day. Whereas I used to run all day, every day out in the sun with a visor and glasses and hope that nothing happened. Yeah. I don't do that that much anymore. So if it's really, really, really hot, I'm coming in and getting on the treadmill. But that being said, I sweat a lot too. And so, but if it's, if I have really depleted, I may put a little bit of uniodized, you know, just some plain kosher salt under my tongue, but that that's an extreme,
0: gotcha. you
1: know, I just, I find for myself, once I start trying to be a chemist with my own chemistry, I get out of whack. So maybe a little salt once in a while, but that's it. I don't take gotcha. anything else. Yeah.
0: Very nice. So we got three minutes left. I want to respect okay. your time. Um, I love books. I love to read. You have a ton of cookbooks behind you. Uh, one, is there any particular cookbook you would recommend? And then two, any other books that you've been reading that you'd like to recommend or share with me in the audience?
1: Um, so, uh, I don't know. There's so many good cookbooks. I don't know. They're <laughs> all I, I, I mean, I think there's something in every cookbook. I, I love, I, just, I read cookbooks like books. So
2: do, you um,
1: really? <laughs> I, I do. So any of those, um, you know, I read everything. Yeah. I, I find any topic fascinating. So, um, I'd have to look at my phone to tell you what I'm reading at the moment. Yeah. Um, I keep like five different things going because it kind of depends on my mood that day. Yeah, like sometimes I'm, I'm like really into a thriller, but then the next day I'm really into like a memoir. Um, I love a good memoir. Oh, you know, one thing I've, I'm really enjoying right now that might be particularly of interest to to your listeners is I'm reading. It's called Thirst
2: okay. by
1: Heather Anderson. Okay. And it is um, her memoir of her. her uh, she set the record on the Pacific Crest Trail and uh, she broke the record for men and women and it it, you know she goes through kind of why she chose to do it and what personal demons she was sort of going through at the time and why she chose to do it so did you ever uh, read that book Wild by Cheryl Strayed I have not
0: read that
1: Uh -uh. anyway so she did it but she did it kind of in a more like I'm just going to go out there and do it whereas Heather Anderson did it in a, in a record attempt. So it was a little more kind of probably what we'd be more interested in. It's a little more, there's a little bit more of kind of the athletic talk in it, which I appreciated. So I'm reading that right now. And I really am enjoying, I don't know her, but I'm really enjoying it.
0: Very nice. Very nice. All right. Uh, Last question here is um, what's a final thought that you'd want to share with the audience? We've covered a lot. Uh, We've talked about discipline being freedom. Um, emotions, following action. If there's a final thought that you'd like to leave, what might that be?
1: You know, honestly, and, and my, if my kids listen to this, they're going to roll their eyes But this is the truth. I think that if you do nothing else to help your life, exercise. And I mean that sincerely. It doesn't matter what you do. You can jump around for 20 minutes in your living room, get out and walk with a friend, I really think that our world would be completely different if everybody just exercised twenty minutes a day because it completely changes your chemistry.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I know
1: that sounds like a sales pitch for but <laughs> <laughs> It's not, not a to do just do
0: something. No, I love it. Yeah, just do something. I love it, Carolyn. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, thank I- you so much for responding to my DM. I saw on your Twitter page. I do you don't respond to DMs. So I was like, oh, oh, well. No but thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it.
1: I appreciate you having me. I really enjoyed it. And it was really nice talking to you.
0: All right. Take care.
1: Thank you. You too.